You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along. On today's show, we will give you our matchup breakdown setting into SEC Week 6. We'll give you our predictions for every game this weekend, all six games on the SEC weekend. We'll also catch up with Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports and The Athletic. He's got a new book out called Flip the Script on Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU title run. We'll also get his thoughts on the SEC as a whole this year. We'll also talk all things SEC with Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports. He's a longtime sports host and handicapper. Get his thoughts on the SEC games going into this weekend. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out five days a week. Real quick, before we get to our matchup breakdown, some quick news out of the SEC. The SEC championship game set for December 19th has been moved to a night game. It will kick off at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Game, of course, will be played in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. will air on CBS. So a little bit of night action, which is great because these past few years we've had the SEC title game at you know four o'clock Eastern, and you know the crappy ACC title game has always been in that primetime slot. So now the SEC title game always deserved to be a primetime game, and now here it is in primetime. Let's see if they keep it there in years moving forward. All right, let's get into this weekend's matchup breakdowns. Matchup breakdowns. We start with the 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern game, number five, Georgia at Kentucky. The Dogs, a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. Georgia leads the all-time series 59-12-2. And And if you remember last year's game, it was a rainy one in Athens. The score was actually 0-0 at halftime. But in the second half, Georgia got their ground game going, and they won that one 21-0. Now, some numbers that jump out immediately in this matchup. Kentucky actually has a better ground game on the season than Georgia. The Cats rush for 184 a game, while the Bulldogs rush for 165. Georgia's run defense, they are fourth best in the country, however, while Kentucky's ranks 37th. Kentucky does rank second in the country with eight interceptions as well, but also those all came in bulk in just a couple of games. Big news for Kentucky in this one, they will be without quarterback Terry Wilson. He's been dealing with a hand injury, so Joey Gatewood We'll get the start versus Georgia. Over their past three games, though, that Kentucky offense has accounted for five total touchdowns and four field goals. You take out the pick sixes, this offense is averaging 15 points per game the last three the last three games. Georgia, on the other hand, they were stymied in the second half against Alabama and Tuscaloosa, but outside of that, they're still averaging 33 points of offense per game. Maybe Kentucky can keep it close in the first half, but Georgia pulls away. The Bulldogs win this one 34-16 and a monster upcoming week for Georgia as they get ready for Florida in the de facto SEC East title game. In the afternoon on CBS, we get LSU at Auburn. First time these teams meet, both unranked since 2001. LSU is a surprising three-point road favorite. Both teams have not looked their best throughout this season, but LSU had their most complete win at home this past week against a decent South Carolina team. Auburn, they won that road game against Ole Miss that had yet another controversial play near the end, this time with a missed touch on a kickoff. LSU, they lead the all-time series 31-22-1, and and they have won 10 in the last 13. LSU's passing offense ranks 8th in the country. 
No, that's not a typo. That's not a misspeak. They rank eighth in the country in passing. Throwing for 344 yards per game. Auburn's strength is their scoring defense. They allow just 25 points per game. LSU's quarterback, Miles Brennan, not going to play this week. He will be out once again. That means a true freshman, TJ Finley, gets his first road start of his career. But with LSU's total defense ranking 83rd in the country, this may be a get-right game for Bo Nix and company. As Bo Pelini has struggled to get that LSU defense going. LSU D does rank ninth in the country in sacks. They lead the conference in sacks with 14, so they do get after the quarterback, but they give up over 344 passing yards a game. They allow 30 points a game scoring. Expect Bo Nix to get loose at times. I expect Auburn to ride their workhorse. Tank Bigsby at running back. Also would not be surprised if Seth Williams continues to get loose in the secondary. But Terrace Marshall and company, they are just as good on the LSU side. Receiving-wise, the running backs John Emery and Ty Davis-Price are starting to get loose on the on the ground as well. Normally, this is a series that is something like 27-21 or 23-20. I think this year's LSU-Auburn game is a shootout. I take LSU to win on the road 38-34. The other afternoon game, 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. It's a get-right game for Lane Kiffin, the Ole Miss Rebels. Going to Nashville to play Vanderbilt. We won't spend much time on this one. Vandy's just not a good team. Ole Miss has the ninth best offense in the country. Vandy's offense ranks 95th. I actually think Vandy scores some on that Ole Miss defense, which is terrible, but Kiffin and company, they can name their number on offense. They're averaging around 35 points per game. The Rebels, 16.5 point favorites, and I think they cover that. Give me the Rebs, 35-17 to 17 over Vandy. At night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern, 1 and 3. Mississippi State is at number two. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, 31 point favorites. Bama playing their first game without Jalen Waddell. They lead this series all time, 82 18 and 3. And the battle for Highway 82 has been a bit one sided in recent years. Alabama's won 12 straight in the series. The Tide offense has been on an absolute roll this year. Mac Jones being named SEC Player of the Week just about every single week. He still has ridiculously good weapons in Devontae Smith and John Mechie. And with sophomore Slade Bolden coming on last week as well. But it starts with Najee Harris. He ranks sixth in college football with 595 rushing yards. Leads the nation in rushing touchdowns at 14. But Mississippi State with a sneaky good defense. They rank 15th in the country in stopping the run. So this will be a good test for the Bama run game. They also rank 15th in total defense in the nation, but I expect Mac Jones to have a good day throwing the ball once again. After week one, State has just been abysmal on offense, and Bama's defense starting to look more like their regular selves. I think Alabama wins big. Maybe doesn't cover the 31. I'll go 41-13 to Alabama. Leach still a ways from building the type of offense he wants at Starkville, and Bama rolls on to 6-0. The other two night games, really excited to see these. Let's start with Arkansas. At Texas A&M, number, Texas, number eight Texas A&M. Both teams coming off their bye weeks. Arkansas beating Ole Miss last time out while the Aggies won at Mississippi State. A&M is a 12-point favorite, which seems really disrespectful to what Barry Odom has done defensively so far with the Razorbacks. Arkansas ranks 41st in the nation passing. A&M ranks 37th, so not much difference there between Kellen Mond and Felipe Franks. The Aggies do run the ball better at around 172 yards a game. And AM does a solid job at stopping the run. Seventh best run defense in the country. Arkansas, they lead the nation with 10 interceptions total. This one comes down to this. Can the Razorbacks make enough plays with Felipe Franks through the air and slow down Isaiah Spiller and the Aggie run game? If the Razorbacks can limit mistakes 
I say that one turnover or less. I think they can. They have a great chance to win this one. I definitely like them plus the 12 points, but why not take them outright? This is a rivalry that has been dominated in recent years by the Aggies. A&M has won eight straight, but all good things must come to an end. Sam Pittman and the boys win 31 to 28 in College Station. That's my upset pick of the week. And the last game of the week, my game of the week, Mizzou is at number 10, Florida. The Gators playing their first game in three weeks where they lost on the road at Texas A&M. Florida won this one last year in Columbia, 23-6. But Mizzou leads the all-time series 5-4. Mizzou has won four of the last seven matchups, including two wins in Gainesville. They are riding high after two straight wins over LSU and Kentucky. Mizzou is red hot, but the Florida offense... How good will they be coming off of the COVID-19 infections, quarantine? If their O-line can protect for Kyle Trask, I expect him to go back to work through the air. Mizzou's given up over 242 yards per game through the air, but can the Florida defense respond? They have been really bad so far this season. Only one interception. They rank 70th in the country in sacks per game. But I think the Gators win in a little bit of a shootout. I expect Mizzou's going to score some points, but in the end, the Gators prevail. Another big day for Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask. And the Gators win 45-31. to 31. And those are our matchup break, breakdowns heading into week six. When we return, we will talk with Bruce Feldman of The Athletic and discuss his new book on LSU. And co- Coach Ed Ogeron, Flip the Script. It's the end of the week, almost the weekend. You can feel yourself trying to cross that finish line on the work week. Can I make a recommendation to help you get there? You've got to try Built Go. It is the best workout gel on the market. It's a lot like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It is all natural, so it's better for your body. They come in these little one-and-a-half-ounce packages, so very easy to throw in your briefcase or your golf bag, wherever you need to stash it, where you may need that late afternoon pick-me-up. It's just like drinking a monster energy drink with a third of the caffeine and much better results. Built Go comes in three delicious flavors. Chocolate mint is my personal favorite. They combine energy with protein. Go check them out right now, builtgo.com. And when you go to the website, you want to make sure you use our promo code locked on, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. So use the promo code locked on. You'll get 20% off your order at builtgo.com. Go check them out, builtgo.com. Let's go. Three things we all love in life. One, relaxing. Two, watching college football. And three, drinking an ice-cold Coors Light. You can have all three of these things tomorrow. That's what I'll be doing. It's how I spend every Saturday hitting the reset button, watching football, and drinking a Coors Light. It is your time to chill. You know the Mountain Cold Refreshment will make you forget all about the hustle and bustle of the work week. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, literally made to chill And like we've been telling you, you can now get Coors Light delivered right to your door at get.coorslight.com. You don't even need to leave the couch. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill, and that is Coors Light. College football, your couch, and Coors Light. Whether your team wins or loses this weekend, you know you will at least be enjoying it the right way with a Coors Light in your hands. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company. Golden, Colorado.
Locked on SEC podcast rolling along. Excited to talk to this guy, longtime college football analyst, best-selling author. His new book, Flip the Script, a behind-the-scenes look at Coach Ed Ogeron taking over the LSU football program, leading them back to an undefeated season and a national championship last season. Bruce Feldman joins us now. Bruce, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Good to be on with you guys. Bruce, give our listeners an idea of what the book that you wrote about Coach O is all about. Well, it really was. I mean, obviously, to me, the book was made when they beat uh, Alabama last year in Tuscaloosa because that was such mm-hmm. a mountain for LSU's program to climb at that point. But this was – the book really is about um, – Ogeron has, I think, as much of a wild roller coaster ride of any coach anywhere in football. You got to remember, like, so he's experienced the highest of the highs now that he's he's led them to a national title, and he's won a bunch of national titles as an assistant coach, helped Pete Carroll, you know, build USC and everything. But he's also experienced lows that I can't imagine hardly any other coach who's had that success has has had. And so, not only did he. He gets fired at Old Miss after three years, very turbulent years. He did some good things, but also it was basically a, it turned out to be like a spectacular failure if you look at his record. Um, but he was able to look inside and really make some, some hard evaluations of himself. And I think the reason why he was able to do that is because you have to look back in his past. And he's a young assistant at Miami coaching Cortez Kennedy and Russell Maryland and and Warren Sapp and these great players, but his life spirals out of control. He realizes he cannot handle alcohol. Um, he ends up in, he, he doesn't know how he gets the number for John Lucas's center there in Houston, but he calls and the woman answers and, and he says, look, I'm a football coach. I've lost everything. And she said, sir, do you have any insurance? He said, I do not. I'm, and she said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. He said, Five minutes later, the phone rings again. It's John Lucas. Can you get here? Can you get here uh, tonight? And his father drives him there from Louisiana. And he said, I spent 45 days there. John Lucas never, never charged me a penny. Um, Changed his life because it also helped him, uh, provided him with like the real tools to not just help him as a, as a, as a man with his, with his, problems on that front but also i think it those lessons helped him as a as a father but especially also as a football coach in addition and so that's the part where you know the flip the script side comes in and then all these other things you know it wasn't just the national title team of 2019 it was really everything he learned from his own mistakes from ls from uh old miss but he learned from his buddy Lane Kiffin's mistakes when they were together at Tennessee and together at USC. And then he learned from Les Miles' mistakes when he was on his staff. So I think it's that constant evolution that really is what this book is about. I'm really interested in reading it, Bruce. I ordered my copy already. And it's interesting because I remember reading Meat Market and it was all about the the world of recruiting and that sort of thing. And you know, kind of the success of where Coach O is now is because he was that great recruiter and he was able to bring in all these great recruits at LSU and, like you said, learn from his mistakes. I'd imagine tons of great behind-the-scenes stories when it comes to recruiting and, and how he built this team into this national championship contender. Yeah, and I, that was like, look, people had asked me, hey, are you going to ever do a sequel to Meat Mark? And for years, I, I was like, uh, I don't think I'll be able to. It's just I need the right situation, and it, it's got to have, 
the access where even the people who follow the program, their stories they don't even know about. And so we have some great stuff in there about basically Joe Burrow and how his leadership and how they bought into him. And it wasn't as, you know, there was a lot of stuff that people don't know how it, it kind of all came into, came to shape there. But, you know, you got to remember like this program that was, that was a won a national title and, and went 15 and zero. you know, Joe Burrow was a guy who couldn't, couldn't get the job at Ohio state. Clyde Edwards, Elaire, who ended up being a first round pick. He was a three-star running back who nobody was talking about. Justin Jefferson, who's now tearing it up with the Vikings. He was a two-star guy. And when LSU brought him in, a lot of the, his teammates thought he was a walk-on, you know? So there's a lot of these guys who really weren't big name recruits in the process. But I think, you know, from those days under Jimmy Johnson, I think Ojan really trusts his eye in evaluation. But I think also, like, he is kind of what he is. And so I think because of that, he's able to connect with, with recruits and their families because there's no, oh, is this the real Coach O or not? No, it's like what you see is what you get. I can't tell you how many times when, when working on this book I was on the phone with him where he would be at a Popeye's and you would hear him having these conversations with random people who would start t- stop talking to him. I cannot imagine a lot of, you know, championship level football coaches in college would be, ha- would be engaging just anybody like that, where they're that approachable. Cause that's how people kind of know his persona is. And so, um, you know, it's certainly not polished, but it, it works for him because I think he knows I'm not taking anything. How easy was it to get Coach O to open up and give you all the inside information? You know, when the pandemic hit, so we had, uh, you know, got a book deal right right after they won the national title. And the pandemic happens, and with Ogeron, you know, like, you can get him on the phone. The challenge is keeping him on the phone for more than five minutes because he's always got somebody else he's going to talk to, and there's just he's just a high-energy guy. Well, because there was no football to coach and because there was a quarantine, you know, we'd be on the phone for 45 minutes and he would tell me a story about Cortez Kennedy I'd never heard. He told me, like, you know, I I worked on Meat Mark. I thought I knew just about everything I knew that there was to know about him. I didn't know the John Lucas story until we talked about it this time. Um, so there was just a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, you'd ask somebody. And I think when people see Flip the Script, they'll see, you know, there's a lot of stories from Joe Burrow, from Joe Burrow's family. There's stories from, uh, there's a player he had, Duke Riley. Um, there's an amazing Duke Riley story. The year after Duke Riley goes off to the NFL about he gives this incredible speech that Ogeron said is probably the most impactful speech he's ever had anybody deliver a team to a team. Now, obviously, Duke's not as famous as Marcus Allen or Ronnie Lott or any of those other guys that, you know, he's had speak to teams before, but I think those things, when you get somebody going, um, it, it really shows you the layers that go into it. I mean, you know, Andy, you were in a locker and you were part of, you know, part of the process of the day-to-day grind. And I think sometimes, um, you know, we in the, we in the media, and I'm guilty, definitely guilty of this. You think, Oh, this team is like this. This is how this coach, this is how this coach is. What I think I didn't really get the grasp of until working on this book was every team from year to year is different. 
especially with college football. The locker rooms are different. The dynamic is different. You can say something to, to the team in 2016 that you probably couldn't say to 2017 because you might lose some of those kids. And you got to be flexible as a leader. Even this guy who's a you know, quintessential D-line guy, I think he has awareness of that. And I think what was you know, interesting to learn from him was a lot of the things that are, would have been his initial instinct He's at least disciplined enough now to know, hey, I can't say that or I can't do it that way. The old me would have done it that way and it would have blown up in my face or it would have been a story for 48 hours around the team. And that, you know, I guess that's wisdom in, you know, getting older if you're at least learning. And I think that's one of the things that I learned in this process of, you know, this coach I've known for now 20 years, but I didn't really get that about him until we talked about this stuff in depth. Flip the script is the, the new book from Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce, I'm just curious your thoughts on when I look around the SEC right now. It's a shame we didn't get SEC media days before this season to really see all the colorful characters that are in the conference now. But, man, it feels like you could write a book about any one of these coaches that's in the SEC now with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, which with what's happening with Mike Leach at Mississippi State, Jimbo uh, maybe starting to turn the corner at Texas A&M now. It, there's some amazing stories around this whole conference right now. It is. I mean, you look, I mean, look what's going on at who Jimbo's even playing this week. I mean, Sam Pittman has done a remarkable job. I don't think anybody uh, maybe outside of Fayetteville saw that coming. So I agree with you. There's a lot of larger than life personalities. Obviously the spotlight is so, so bright and everything like that. And look, I mean, I think you have to have some element of the cult of personality to, for it to resonate, not just with the hundred guys who you, who, who are playing for you, but also, the people who have to buy in to, to make a program run. And so, you know, and they're all not going to win, right? Like Mike Leach, what worked for him in Pullman, Washington may not work at all in the SEC West, you know, like, yeah, he has more access to talent now in, in Starkville than he did, you know, other places, but you know what? There was no Alabama in the Pac-12 North, right? So it's a really different dynamic and we'll see. I mean, that's the fun part is Lane going to, is, you know, Lane has grown clearly from his time at Alabama and certainly from USC. Can Lane, you know, his pr- production match up with the bravado and all the colorful social media presence? I mean, it keeps it interesting, no doubt. He is Bruce Feldman. Flip the script is the new book, Lessons Learned on the Road to a Championship, along with uh, Coach Ed Ogeron. Uh, Bruce, mine is uh, already on the way, o- ordered it already, so can't wait to get it in and read it. And it's it's already climbing up all the all the charts already. So uh, congrats on the success, man, and uh, best of luck with the book. Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Bruce Feldman there of The Athletic. When we return, we'll get some SEC picks this week from Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports. Rolling along here on Locked on SEC, talking all things SEC football and college football heading into yet another weekend. This is week six in the SEC and some uh, big, big games to uh, take place this weekend. And uh, nobody better than to get in. A longtime sports talk radio host, uh, handicapper, professional poker player. This guy's done it just about everything except work for Barstool Sports. And that's where he's headed now. It's going to be on Barstool Sports starting next week. Really excited to get Ben Mintz on the Locked On SEC podcast. Ben, what's going on, man? 
Oh, man, first of all, Chris, I just want to thank you for having me on the Locked On SEC podcast. And uh, Right now, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm actually flying to Newark, New Jersey in the morning and uh, getting ready to start my new life working for Barstool Sports. It's pretty uh, pretty, pretty thrill. It's kind of one of those things uh, I think I'm going to go live the rest of my life and not really believe uh, the last few weeks. But <laughs> i got a huge opportunity in front of me, and I plan on making the most of it. So, for our listeners who are not, uh, who don't know what how this came about, take us through. It started with the Ole Miss Kentucky game, a game that Kentucky probably should have won. They miss an extra point in overtime. Ole Miss scores the go ahead touchdown. They kick the extra point. They make it, and the Rebs get out with the win over Kentucky. And basically, your friend videos your reaction to the game, and it goes viral. Well, yeah, it, it was actually funny too, as it goes. Uh, basically, my my digital producer, I work for ESPN Baton Rouge, 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge, and I've been the co-host uh, with Jimmy Odd's Game Time for the last three months, and I uh, really have enjoyed working down here. It's been great. But So basically, uh, I'm a real fiery, high-energy guy. That's not news to anybody that knows me. And, but when Ole Miss won, I was just going kind of nuts, and my producer just like randomly like was just like, this will be funny for social media, and just started taping it. Like, not even planned. You know, he just flipped it on for the heck of it just to mess around. So we kind of just do some funny content videos. And he tweets out, and he says, uh, somebody's excited for Lane Kiffin's first SEC win. And it get a, gets a pretty good response Saturday night. And, you know, it's kind of funny. That's all we were really trying to do. Well, Sunday morning, we do a football Sunday show at the Magnolia Ball Sportsbook in Natchez, Mississippi, that I do with Jimmy Ott and former Elton Tiger great quarterback Rohan Davey, who also is Tom Brady's backup in New England five years. And we do a football Sunday morning show. So I'm driving to Natchez, Mississippi, and at 9 a.m. my phone goes off like a nuclear bomb. I mean, like I, I like literally don't even know what happened. And I look down, and Dave Portnoy, El Presidente, the, one of the most influential people in sports media, uh, just says on the tweet, SEC football just hits different. And it's a video of me going nuts. And so I'm like, whoa, that's kind of wild. My phone's blowing up. Then I see on my Twitter, Dave Portnoy has followed you. And I, and I was like, okay, this is, this is certainly interesting. And then 10 minutes before we go on the air in Natchez, I get a DM from Dave Portnoy saying, I want you to come work for me at Barstool Sports in New York. <laughs> and I just like jumped out of my chair. I couldn't believe it. That... And uh, he called me. The next, we scheduled a phone call the next day. And uh, he calls me. And I just say, Hello. And he, the first thing he says to me is, your voice sounds exactly how I hoped it would, I guess, in the, the kind of southern drawl that I have. And then he says, look, I, I had figured everything out in life, but I've been pretty good about finding talent, and you're my guy. And I just, I mean, I just, I tried to, I, I didn't even know how to react. I couldn't even believe it. That, that, um, and then he, he gave me the option of working in New York or staying in the South, and uh, said he'd pay me more if I went to New York. And I thought about it for a couple of days. And I was just like, man, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've only spent one night in my entire life in New York City. But I'm in my mid-30s. i got nothing to lose. Let's do it. And, uh, so I'm moving up to New York. Let's do it. You know, that's what's happening. My start date is Sunday, November 1st. And I'm going to be doing uh, a lot of uh, college football, SEC gambling content. They're heavily invested. Penn Gaming bought them, which owns a lot of sports books around the country. And so I know I'm going to be doing a lot of sports gambling talk with them and uh, they have a guy named Brandon Walker, who's a Mississippi State guy, that is their state guy, and they're wanting me to come in, and I think we're going to probably go to war a little bit on this egg bowl. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of other plans down the line with poker and all kinds of stuff. But I'm just super excited. I mean, I just 
very, very grateful for this opportunity. I mean, I got let go on a station reformat change in Bossier City, Louisiana, in mid-March. Now I'm going to work for Barstool Sports in New York. Well, tell us real quick. I know you got to hang out with Lane Kiffin briefly uh, a couple days ago. What was that like? Okay, so I went. So my plan was, I'm a big old Miss guy, but I was catching some flack on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at MS531. I work for ESPN Baton Rouge, the LSU flagship, and I'm the only non-LSU graduate that's a sports radio host down here. And so these people are coming to me on Twitter like this dude's a fake old Miss fan. He works for ESPN Baton Rouge. So I, I realized before I went to New York, I was like, I'd be an idiot to not go up to Oxford for Auburn Ole Miss and build momentum. And so I went up there and met with the athletic department, and uh, the guy, the young guy, the head of marketing, uh, said, "Yeah, man, I'm going to let you meet Lane." And so I went to the Manning Center, and it was very, very brief. Lane is a very detached human being; he's kind of a monster behind his Twitter. But it was 20 hours before the Auburn game. He kind of came out quickly, said hello. I made some comment like, "Thanks for getting me this job, coach." He looked at me and said, you really do have a lot of energy. We took a quick picture, and he walked off. But, hey, <laughs> it, was a, it was a good start. So, uh, that, was, that was pretty cool. That is great. Well, Mitzi, I wanted to get you on real quick. Um, I know you're, you're very busy, going to be heading up to New York very soon. But six games in the SEC this weekend. I just want to get a quick thought on each of them from you because I know this is your expertise. Real quick, let's start with number five, Georgia at Kentucky. Give me a thought on that one. Well, okay, so Kentucky, what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky is, is incredible. And, you know, you look back at Kentucky, like when they were successful, they, you know, you think of Hal Mummy and Tim Couch and the old Air Raid. You know, this team now, they run the ball and they play defense. And what they do, though, is they, they do a good job winning the games they're supposed to win. And I know that that was a big, big win for them at Tennessee. But they've had some real problems any time they play these elite SEC teams. And I kind of think it's because it's really just a lack of a passing game. They're not balanced enough on offense. And when you look at this Kentucky offense trying to run the ball against the Georgia you know, front seven, which may be one of the best in the country, I'm having a hard time seeing more than 13 to 17 points for Kentucky. And, you know, I don't usually like laying a couple touchdowns on the road. But I just don't see how Kentucky can find enough points to compete in this game. So for them to win, their defense is going to have to play their hearts out. It's going to have to be a 17-14, 16-13 game. And until Mark Stoops and Kentucky actually steps up and beats Georgia or one of these elite teams, I just got to see it to believe it. So I'm going to lean Georgia, but I still don't like laying these points on the road. So not a strong play. Uh, one of the afternoon games, Ole Miss, your team, is going to Vanderbilt. This seems like, I've been calling it a get-right game for Ole Miss. This seems like a game where they could kind of get right and maybe name their number on Vandy. Well, I think so, too. I went to that Auburn-Ole Miss game, and boy, Lane Kiffin's been rightfully salty all week. I'm not going to get into the officiating stuff because there's more to it. You know, there's a million other things the Rebels could have done better, including including not mismanaging the clock down the stretch uh, to win that game. But it does feel like a get-right game. And Ole Miss's defense is still horrible because of the NCAA sanctions that are all over that roster. There's barely any juniors and seniors on defense. But Vanderbilt starting a true freshman quarterback. And, I mean, this I think this is the end of the Derrick Mason era. They've got an okay defense, but, I mean, they got blown out at home by South Carolina and LSU. And I just, even with Ole Miss having bad defense, I, I don't think Vanderbilt has enough firepower to compete. And, you know, I know Ole Miss has been a fun story with Lane Kiffin. And they scored 112 points against Auburn, Alabama, and Florida combined. They're still a one four football team. And they need to get this win and to get right game. So, actually, I do I do like Ole Miss, even on the road, laying the 16 or 16 and a half. 
uh, because of what she said. I think that they're mad this week, and this they, they need to make a statement. Mincy, first time in a long time, LSU and Auburn are meeting, and they're both unranked. Uh, it, I was surprised when I saw LSU open up as a as a road favorite, and they've kind of stayed that way, around three points on the road. I think maybe some people are forgetting LSU's defense still has a lot of issues, but I don't know. Like the more I look at this one, I think this one's going to be a shootout. Like the LSU Auburn games are typically like twenty three, twenty one, and that sort of thing. I think this one could be high scoring. Okay, well we're kind of on the opposite on that, and then it's interesting. First of all, there's no chance of Hackham laying points on the road to LSU. <laughs> I know TJ Finley looked incredible last week, but he's still a true freshman starting his first road game in the SEC. Certainly doesn't hurt him that Auburn's got the socially distance going on because Auburn uh, has one of the most underrated, best fan atmospheres in the country. So that's not a bad thing. But, man, my problem is is uh, on, on the over thing, it's just that how little trust Gus Malzahn has in Bo Nix. I mean, he, he had all those turnovers and blew that South Carolina game. He blew the Arkansas game, and they won because the officials missed the call on the spike. And I just watched that play call on last week in Oxford. It was all bubble screens, you know, a couple of read options. He chunked it deep, and Steph Williams made a couple of big plays down the stretch. But, man, it just looked like Auburn doesn't trust him enough and they want to run the ball. And when you factor in LSU having true freshmen on the road, I know LSU's defense hasn't been great, but uh, I'm actually leaning on – I'm on the other side. I'm taking the under 65 and a half here on this one. I just uh, – just mainly because of quarterback situation. A couple of good night games, uh, one not so great. Mississippi State, a huge underdog at Alabama – what, several guys leaving the program this week. Mike Leach uh, kind of cleaning house there, but, man, it just seems like Alabama's going to wipe the floor with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, last thing on my LSU-Auburn, I do kind of like Auburn as a home underdog. I just won't say that I'm going to stand Baton Rouge right yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Mississippi State-Bama, this is one of those games where it's 31 and a half, but if you like Bama, I'd rather just lay the 21 in the first half because, you know, kind of we saw Bama week one against Missouri. They're up 35-3 late. Missouri got a couple of touchdowns, got the back door. I mean, look, Mississippi State's just in a full leash. is getting all the bad apples that he doesn't like out of this program. You know, now Colin Hill is not going to be. He looks like he's gone. You've had seven people go to the transfer portal, and now he's done. I mean, that's eight guys gone now. The KJ Costello thing's a mess, and – the biggest problem for Leach and Mississippi State right now is just the roster construction. Dan Mullen, Joe Moorhead, and Leach have three completely different styles of football. So this roster is just not built to run Leach's spread at all. And the wide receiver, Mississippi State's, you know, produced so many great defensive linemen, and you always think of them as a rugged team. But, I mean, going back all the way to Eric Moles in the mid-'90s, they hadn't produced anybody, a wide receiver. they got to get some receivers in there to run Leach's offense. So I think the Leach State era is going to be good, but it's, it's just going to take a little bit to get this roster right. Uh, I'm not laying 31 and a half by any means, but if you do want to take Bama, I'd take them on a 21 first half. They should be up real big at the half. The Arkansas A&M rivalry, it, it moves to College Station this year, normally in Arlington, Texas, on a neutral field. And A&M has owned this rivalry, but, man, this Arkansas bunch is scrappy. you got to love what they're doing on defense with Barry Odom. I think they could keep it close. What do you think? Well, this the thing about this Arkansas, I'm glad they're going back on campus because they've been playing this game in Jerry World every year. And I feel like for a decade I've watched the exact same game where A&M's a huge favorite and Arkansas fights them and loses by a field goal. I think I've seen – literally, I think I've seen that game eight times. <laughs> and what's interesting about this one is the one thing about this line 
And Vegas sometimes does this where, like, you know, if you looked at a Arkansas and A&M and the way they both looked so far this year, what would you think? A&M by eight, eight and a half at home? Right. And it's 12 and a half. And so sometimes I get a little concerned when Vegas comes out with these lines a little higher than you think they should be. Like, it kind of looks like they know people are going to take Arkansas here and they put the line out like that. But, I mean, I still think Arkansas should should compete in this game, but the point spread is my only thing that worries me. But you mentioned Barry Odom. I mean, he's uh, he's got to be up for that Frank Rolls Coordinator of the Year Award in college football. This Arkansas team hasn't stopped anybody for five to seven years. I mean, he shuts down Kiffin, Leach. This defense is the most approved unit in the country. And uh, you've got to give a lot of credit to that coaching staff. I mean, the Sam Pittman hire was, you know, everybody's just kind of like, oh, they took an O-line coach from Georgia. But Kendall Bryles and Barry Oda might be the best coordinator combo in the country. And, you know, Arkansas is the surprise team in the SEC. They certainly fight hard. I would lean Arkansas on the points, but not huge because that point spread just looks kind of weird to me. All right, the last one, Mincy. Mizzou is at Florida. This this game is on the SEC alternate network, and it seems like a shame because Mizzou has had Florida's number since they've been in the SEC. And, you know, don't look now, but Mizzou's won two straight. They're starting to get hot with their freshman quarterback. What do you think on this one? Yeah, well, I've got to give Eli Drinkwitz a lot of credit at Mizzou, too, because when Missouri hired him, I was actually surprised they didn't go get Josh Heupel, who was their former offensive coordinator at Missouri, and uh, obviously it's at Central Florida right now, but I guess the Central Florida job may be more appealing than Missouri, even with them not being the SEC with the Florida ties and success they've had. But I thought he was the natural fit. And they take Eli Drinkwitz, who only was the head coach in that state for one year, because Scott Satterfield is in Louisville, really uh, kind of got, you know, was the guy that got that thing going. So a lot of people are questioning that hire, and uh, look how it's turned out so far. I mean, they had the big win against LSU. Uh, behind Basil after that crazy game, and then the defense shut Kentucky down last week. And, you know, people were saying Missouri was going to be back in the back of the East with Andy. They've been, you know, much, much better. Uh, and they have given Florida a lot of trouble. So, I mean, and Florida's dealing with a lot of the weird COVID issues right now. The thing with Florida this year, you know, you always think about their fast D line and pass rushers, and they've always got elite talent in the secondary. But, the defense lost a ton from last year. Their top two pass rushers as well, C.J. Henderson, the first-round pick of Jacksonville. They've been allowing a lot of points. You know, even you know South Carolina and Ole Miss and all these teams have really moved the ball in Florida. So, gosh, I mean, I, I don't have a strong – I hate to be weak and say I don't have a strong opinion on it, but that's kind of where I'm at. Florida's got such a dynamic offense with Kyle Pitts. I like their receiving core. I mean, I, I, I'll say Florida, but I don't have a lot of confidence. Mincy, great stuff, man. Really appreciate you uh, taking some time to hop on with us, and uh, best of luck with everything you got going on, man. We look forward to seeing you. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll be on something viral again very soon. Oh uh, yeah, there's gonna. Oh, it's about to get real wild in New York. <laughs> I mean, I've, I, like I said, one night in my entire life up there, and uh, moving up there, I think it's gonna be pretty funny. But I look forward to it. Thank you for having me on, and uh, once again, please follow me on Twitter at Bimmins five three one. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much, man. Uh, ben Mintz there of uh, now Barstool Sports, and uh, he'll be there starting this weekend, and you'll be able to see him all over uh, all their different outlets of stuff. And uh, his name is about to get a lot bigger. So uh, if you don't know who Ben Mintz is, you will very soon. We appreciate him taking some time out here to uh, give us his picks for the SEC games this weekend in week six of the conference. That is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. Remember to subscribe. We're here for you five days a week talking all things SEC. We'll be back first thing on Monday. Like overnight, Sunday night, Monday morning, our reaction podcast show drops. 
you'll be able to get a full reaction to what happened at all the games on Saturday across the SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. We will talk to you guys on Monday on Locked on SEC.